How many of you are glad that football season has started? For, I know the CFL has been going, but our local team is like 1 in 10. So I stopped watching a long time ago. We'll pray for them somehow. I think it's going to take a miracle. Seattle Seahawks are playing today. I know there's some Patriots fans here. Hey, whoa, 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 wait. Okay, here. That's, that's, we all love Jesus, and most of us hate the Patriots, but <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Kind of just kidding. Kind of, kind of. But anyway, how many of you have ever been in a situation where you didn't know what to do? Didn't know what to do. If you didn't, if you're married, your wife will tell you, so you can, there is that. Um, when I was young, I made the mistake of uh, listening to my older siblings. I have three older brothers and older sister who are still older than me. Uh, and we, there wasn't, we, we didn't really have TV because you had to have like an antenna and had to move your arm and someone hold it at just the right angle to get one of the two stations I think that we got. So we were fairly inventive with uh, our time. Yeah, fairly inventive. Some would say dangerous, but hey, you didn't live with us. I remember my, one of, I think it was my two eldest brothers said, hey, we have a, this hide-a-bed couch. I've told you this story before, but it bears repeating. Because I'm still in therapy, but there's a hide-a-bed. You know the beds that, it's a couch, and then it folds out to a bed. And they said, Craig, if you get in there, we will fold you into it, and it'll be really cool. And we'll get you out right away. And I was like, I trust my brothers. I love them. Less after this, but. So I got in, and they proceeded to fold me up into the couch and roll me right inside. And then they put the cushions on it. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Now I need out. And they sat down on it. And then I started to get like a little panicky and I'm like start screaming like any good little uh, Canadian boy would do like a schoolgirl that had seen a spider. I don't know. That's not you're not supposed to say that now. But uh, here I was screaming my head off until finally they let me out. I didn't know what to do. So I screamed. So it seemed like a good thing to do at the time. You don't know what to do all the time. And so I screamed, and finally they let me out. And for some reason, since that day, I've had trouble with small, confined spaces. <laughs> oh, do you want to go on this ride? Oh, it's like inside of a cage, and it's going to turn? No, I'm, I'm fine. I'll just stay here. I'm good. You, you go. I'll pay for you to go, something like that. I'm not going. Then other time that I was with Shanda, and this was uh, when, before we were, uh, had kids, and we, were, uh, we had spent a month in missions work in Romania shortly after uh, the communists had fallen in there. So we are in Romania. We'd been there about a month helping in orphanages and doing things. And we were driving at the end of it. We drove this Fiat van, uh, five-speed Fiat van from Romania across Hungary and through until finally we ended up in Germany. But we were kind of, well, we didn't really know what we were doing when we were traveling. And so one of the things that we discovered, though, is that you needed to pay for toilet paper before you use the washroom in any public place. So we were, we pulled over at a road stop and uh, I, I didn't need to go, Shannon needed to go and off she went and she comes back like stomping back, not happy. She said, I need more money. I was like, what are you talking about? They, they used to be this much, now it's this much, I need more money. So I give her some more money and she goes in 
Comes out again, I need more, it's still not enough. Oh, goes back in, get your toilet paper on the way into the bathroom, I'll pass you a roll or a part of a roll. And so she, I wait a few minutes and she comes out and she's booking it, she's running in. She jumps in the van and she says, go, 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 go. I was like, why do we have to go? She said, just go. And just then I saw this old lady with her handkerchief head thing on and a broom come running out of the bathroom, swinging this broom at us. And she said, go. And I just floored it right out there. I'm like, I don't know what to do right now, but something is about to happen right now in the room. And so we had to scream out of there. And I'm like, we're driving down the freeway. And I was like, what's going on? I don't want to do this. And she says, she kind of looks at me. Uh, she pulls out of her, out of her uh, shirt the roll of toilet paper. She said, I paid enough for that. I'm not letting them have it back. Since then, Shanda has given a lot of missions money specifically designated towards toiletries to help people. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I was scared of my wife, and I floored it. But there are other more serious times when I didn't know what to do when I had been without work for nine months and our uh, insurance payments were running out and we had literally had left in, in the bin a few potatoes and that was all that was left to feed our family. Been in moments like that where I didn't know what to do. I've been in moments in our marriage where the, it was icy cold and we weren't sure if we were going to be able to keep making it, if we were, how it was going to look, would, we, would our marriage survive the struggle that we were in and the stress that we were in. We, we knew it would, but sometimes you would wonder. You don't know what to do, how to get out of those space. And I think we've all had times where we didn't know what to do. Some of them are personal where we have issues that we keep trying to beat back, but somehow they keep coming, defensiveness, Anxiety, fear, easily offended, easily angered, codependence, defeatist attitude, self-willed, selfish, uh, anger issues, depression. Some of us are fighting pornography and some of us are fighting other things, other drug addictions, whether personally or maybe you're being affected by it in your family. Maybe you've had a spouse or a friend betrayed you. Whatever it is, we get in these situations that come at us or what we experience personally, and we get in a space where we don't always know what to do. At least I don't. There are times and spaces where you wonder if there is a way forward in this because you thought you were moving one way, but it seems to be blocked in you. And maybe you're a youth and you have a, perhaps you or a friend are depressed and anxious, as we see by all the statistics that tell us, um, particularly in our 18 to 25-year-olds, the level of anxiety is debilitating for many. And I don't say that with any condemnation at all. It's just a reality. And many of us have people that are close to us or far from God, and we would love for them to come to know God, and we wonder, will, we don't know what to do. Will it ever change? Maybe you're a college or a university student and you're like, I'm in university just because I needed to do it because everybody was asking me what I was going to do, but I don't really know what I'm going to do. That's why I went to Bible college for one year. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just know I needed God. So I went there for a start. And here I am. Look out. Or maybe you're in your golden years and you're not having the impact you had hoped for. Or we have financial challenges. Maybe you need work. You have, you're, you're immigrated here and you're trying to find your way in your space, but you don't know really how to move forward. And then you look at our nations where, in our nation, where we see deepening societal divides around 
where anybody who thinks differently than somebody else is not just a difference of opinion. Now it's vilified and hateful and, and attacking. And even some of the politicians in our, in our nation are stoking those flames of division rather than trying to bring us together. But it doesn't have to be that way. We don't know what to do all the time. And then when I think of our indigenous community that suffers with way, way higher rates of incarnation, way higher rates of suicide, way higher rates of depression, way higher rates in so many ways. And that's not a judgment, it's a fact. In young, uh, a young indigenous female, the rate of suicide is seven times that of a non-indigenous female in Canada. Something's got to change. We have 8,000 kids in foster care in BC. Two-thirds of them will reach 19 without graduating. And 65% of them will have a diagnosed mental health condition in their childhood. And tragically, there's the equivalent of one abortion every six minutes, 24 hours a day in Canada. And we wonder, what do we do with all this stuff? What is the answer to our personal pain? What is the answer to the injustice in our world? What is the hope for our future? Where are things going? And then you throw onto that all the hysteria that's around climate change right now and all that that's going on, and I don't minimize that. I just want to acknowledge the reality. There's a lot of crazy things in our world, and our world is turned upside down in so many ways. But the message of the gospel... The good news of Jesus Christ is that the power of God found in Jesus still changes lives, still transforms families, still shifts points of view, still brings reconciliation between people that see the world in a radically different way, that the hope of the gospel is still here. In fact, we read that the early Christians in, you can look in Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament. It's just a record of the early church. And in Acts 17, it says this. This is what they said about the church. Those are the people that have turned the world upside down. They have turned the world upside down. In fact, they were turning the world upside right. Because in that world, there was uh, pedophilia that was normalized. In that world, there was a sacrifice of all kinds. In that world, there was slavery. In that world, it was just out of control in so many ways. And the, the message of the gospel came in and said, every person has value. The message of the gospel came in and said, there's hope for your hopelessness. The message of the gospel came in and said that you don't have to live that way. The message of the gospel came in and said, it's not right that, that women should be subjugated. The, the message of the gospel has always gone out as a gospel of hope that anything is possible in any culture, in any city, in any family, in any individual. That has always been the message of the gospel. And yet we look at what's going on in our world, in our families, and we say, God, what's happening? When was the last time that we saw something turned upside down because of us? When was the last time that something in your life got turned upside down? In other words, turned upside right. Too often we look to the government, to our political leaders, and it's more and more being looked at with derision, unfortunately, because that's not the Bible way. The Bible says to honor those that are in authority. And more and more we look to other things. We look to the government, we look to the mayor, we look to the rich, we look to the finances, we look to our connections, we look to ourselves, anything to say, how do I move from where I am into what I know is better? What if we were to look at our life with new eyes? See, the reality is, is 
There are people in this room who have no connection with anything that I've said so far because your life is good. And in our church, many things are good all around. Like the room is full and we say this is good and it is. The danger in good things is that we will settle for good things instead of the God things that we have. The danger of some success is that you will settle at where you're at instead of going after what you were created for. Not only in our culture. See, our culture sells us this yarn. It spins us a, a tale that the goal of our life, and I've been saying this probably for 20 years, get a good education, which is good. So you can do what? Get a good job. So you can do what? Have a good retirement. So you can do what? Die in a nice fancy casket. Like, there's more to life than that. There's more to life than that. There's more to life than that. And could we look at our eyes through the eyes of one beginning to see that God has more for you than you ever imagined? That God has more for us as a church than we've ever imagined. Because we can begin to define our future by what's going on in our presence instead of looking to God and saying, God, what would you have for our future? We must make our own decision that there is more to life than news, weather, sports, and ordinary religion. There must be more to this life than soccer practice, dishes, meeting deadlines, devouring more fast food on the way to another event or meeting, ending up drained, wondering if we have the strength or the guts to make it through another day, and the harsh beat goes on until you're buried in the ground. But what if you were to look at your life with new eyes? Let's look at what God would say. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we're going to look there in a moment, but it's a story of a prophet named Elijah. A prophet is just simply one who spoke for God. In the Old Testament, uh, they, were, they were the guys that, that would come in and say, God says this and don't do that. And this one prophet, Elijah, was in the middle of a nation, and people were sacrificing their children to idols. Their daughters were, be given, were being given as temple prostitutes as part of a demonic worship scheme. The nation was in disarray. There was a wicked king and queen who were absolutely corrupt, stealing from the poor and the vulnerable. And because of the sins of the people and the nation, it had not rained for three and a half years. There was a terrible drought. People were hungry. Crops were scarce. Fruit was little. And times were desperate. There was no security. There was a king that was wicked over them. But their options were very limited. They couldn't move their life forward. They were on the verge of starvation. There had been no rain. There was a famine, discouragement, pain, division, depression, anxiety, fear, frustration. The land is not producing fruit. Times are rough. What do we do? Where is God? How do we move forward? And it's very interesting that in verse 1 of chapter 18, after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. This is God speaking. I will send rain on the land. The drought is coming to an end but still no rain yet. I will send rain. It's going to rain, but still no rain. But what does Elijah do after God says, things are going to begin to shift for you? 
He doesn't sit back and watch. He doesn't sit back and wait. He goes, and he has to go through this whole battle, battling against things, evil um, priests that were leading the land. He was, had to go and show people that God was still on their side, that God wanted them to return to him, that the blessing of God that had been held up because of their actions could be released over their lives if they would but return to him. And so, uh, see, there's a little lesson in that for us, all of us, is that God promises to us will require that we face the enemies that have held us back for so long. You can't break out of what you won't face. You can't break out of what you won't face. You can't break out of barrenness without a battle. You can't break into new ground without stepping out of old ground. And so sometimes when God calls us forward, there's something we have to face, and he says, it's going to rain. Now begin to face the things, the very things that have held you back in whatever it would be, and begin to face Adam, face him, and look and say, my God is going to send some rain, and things are going to begin to shift for me. Things are going to begin to move for me. But here it was, nothing had rained yet. Still no rain. And after a series of events, finally the people repent and say, our God is the Lord, and still no rain. And then in verse 41, Elijah says to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So he says it again. The first time we might have overlooked the delay. Maybe there's held up somewhere. Maybe the rain is stuck in Vancouver. By the second time, you might be getting a little impatient. How, do you, how you handle delay, what seems to be a delay from our perspective, is incredibly important in whether you see the rain. See, the first time we'll overlook it. The second time we might get a little irritated. For some, they might say, okay, God, I've been waiting. I know you're not real. I'll come to church once in a while. I'll put in my time, but that's it. I'm not engaging. I'm not giving myself into this thing called the kingdom of God. I'm just, I know you're real, but you and me have this understanding. I'll come once in a while. You'll leave me alone and not bother me. For others, they might literally because of disappointment in waiting, literally walk away from their faith and say, I can't do this anymore. I can't wait. I can't see the way forward. I'm not going to come forward. And they walk away. But what does Elijah do? And it's instructive for us in the waiting. Does he sit down and wait for the rain to come? No. In the waiting, does he look up and say, maybe I missed it. Maybe God's promises are not really true. See, he had heard God say, I will send rain. He had heard God say, I will send heavy rain. Things are going to begin to shift, yet the sky is still blue all around. In other words, it is impossible for the situation to shift in the natural Nothing is going to change. Some of us have been looking at what's going on in our world, in our family, in our lives and saying, it's nothing is going to change. Everything is still the same. I know God said it, but there's nothing shifting, nothing changing. Did God really say? See, this is as good as it's going to get. Some of us have even said that in our life. And pastor, I know that you tell me to take God at his word. I know you tell me to stand in faith and believe God. But pastor, I've been waiting. Every time I hear the promise to me, it's going to rain, I nod in agreement and I say, yes, somebody's going to get that blessing. But it's not me. It's passing over me. Some of us look and say, if you just walked in my shoes, pastor, you wouldn't say that. You wouldn't continue to believe. You don't know the marriage that I'm in. You don't know the financial pinch I'm in. You don't know the addiction that I'm battling. You don't know what's going on in my life. Things are not going to shift for me. For others, maybe, but not for me. But pastor, it hasn't rained. 
I know you say that, ask us to believe God for lives and families and cities and nations, but pastor, it hasn't rained for three and a half years. I've been in this situation. Our city has been this way. Our nation is only getting worse, but pastor, it's not going to change. But I'm here to tell you this morning, I hear the sound of heavy rain. I hear something that's coming, but Elijah postures himself in a way that is so instructive for us. For anybody who wants to see things shift in their life. For anybody who says, I want my life to be about more than a good education and a good retirement and a fancy casket. For anybody who says, I want to make an impact in the business world. I want to make an impact in the political world. It's not okay that the politicians do what they do. I'm going to be somebody who's going to be light in that world. It's not okay that businesses are built on the backs of people, but that together, that there will be business people who go with integrity and build businesses that make a difference in the lives of their employees and around the world. It's not okay that marriages continue to crumble. It's not okay that our situation of our nation is the way it is. But I hear the sound of heavy rain. What does Elijah do? He says to Ahab the king, he says, go get a drink, go get some food. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel I always thought of caramels when I was a little kid. I read that. I'm like, a mountain made of caramels. It would be amazing. Sorry, I'll keep going. And bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. I think this is almost kind of funny. Under pressure, Ahab went to the buffet and Elijah went to pray. Hmm. But Elijah goes up higher on a mountain. Sometimes when you're under pressure, you need a fresh perspective. Sometimes when you've been going through something, you need to shift where you are and get a higher perspective. In other words, the Bible says, lift up your eyes to the hills. From where does your help come? Your help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Your help is not your pocketbook. Your help is not your smarts. Your help is not your spouse. Your help is the Lord. And sometimes you need to shift your position and what you're looking at to help you and begin to look to heaven and say, God, I need some help here right now. And he went up to the mountain. Sometimes you've got to get away from the crowd so you can get along with God and begin to hear what he's saying in and for your life. He got alone with God. Do you know that oftentimes the thing, the transformation that we're looking to see publicly happens when you begin to labor in prayer in obscurity. When you're able to do things in your private time, God will exalt you in the public time. That's the way that he moves. Just him and his servant are praying. And it says that he got down on his knees and he stuck his head between his knees. I'm not going to do that because I may break something. <laughs> and you'll come and say, you'll have an illustrated sermon, all right. But he says, basically, he prays one time. And he asks his servant, is there anything yet? Nothing. I've, God said it once. He said it twice. I prayed one time. Nothing. He prays again. Anything yet? No. Nothing. He prays again. Do you see anything yet? No. Four times. Five times. Six times. Nothing. And on the seventh time, he says, do you see anything yet? And his servant, who had been looking out from where Mount Carmel is, he was looking out over the Mediterranean. He says, wait, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah jumps up. And begins to run. He says, it's going to rain now. Send word. It is going to rain. And rain came and everything shifted. 
When you see the cloud the size of a man's hand, don't minimize the potential size of a move of God in your life because it seems so small today. Don't minimize your future because your potential seems so small today. Because when God begins to move, you're going to have to start to run. You're going to have to move. When God begins to open doors for you, you're going to have to move faster than you thought you would. Because when the blessing of God breaks through, when the move of God begins to break through, you're going to have to move, adjust, change, and get moving in a way maybe that you weren't prepared for. Because God is hearing, and God is moving, and I hear the sound of a heavy rain. It was a major downpour. There was a promise of God. There was something that God promised and wanted. And some of us are like Elijah, praying and believing. And some of us are, might be on level or on prayer number one, and we're like ready to quit already. Keep praying. Keep pressing in. Because here's the thing. God's promises must be followed by our prayer. God's promises must be followed by our prayer. Because some of us have an interesting perspective, and we'll talk about it in a moment. But here's the thing. It didn't happen. Say, it didn't happen. Until Elijah prayed. It didn't happen. If we're going to say that, we're going to say it strong. It didn't happen until Elijah prayed. In other words, something didn't move until he began to pray. And some of us are waiting on God when God is waiting on us. And some of us have been saying, God, you promised. And God says, well, then get praying because the promise will be released when you begin to pray. And you pray and you persist until you see the promise realized and come forth in your life. Because I will confess that sometimes I worry first before I pray first. Nobody else in the room, so turn to them and say, pray for pastor. Some of us will say, I plan first, and then I pray. Some of us will say, I read a self-help manual, and then I pray. But God wants to begin to shift the order in our lives. And we, some of us might think, why would an all-knowing, all-powerful God need me to pray? Isn't God going to do what he wants to do anyway? Their view is whatever will be, will be. And it's not faith. It's fatalism, and those are two very, very different things. Fatalism says, says God has no interest in the world. He started it, and he just lets her run. But faith says, I get to partner with God. God promises something, declares something, and then I begin to pray until I see his kingdom come, his will be done on earth. See, that's the way that God has always worked. When he created man and woman and put them in the garden, he said, work until the ground. Expand the kingdom. Bring rulership over it. He partnered with man and woman to see the garden expanded. And all through the Bible, we see these things where we are encouraged to pray. Why? To, to take up time? Because God's like got nothing else to do? Well, keep them busy. Like, make them pray or something. Psalm 2.8, ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. If we don't ask, we don't receive. Matthew 6 and 10, Jesus said, this is how you should pray to the Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Doesn't he want his kingdom to come? Doesn't he want his will to be done? Doesn't he want a city to be changed? Doesn't he want an addict to be free? Doesn't he want a family to be restored? Of course he does. And he's given us the key, which is to pray it through. In the Lord's Prayer, he said, pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, provide provision for our lives. Why ask for daily bread? Why ask for God to help us? Because that's the program to release it. Yeah. 
In Matthew 9, he said to pray that God would send forth laborers to, into the harvest field. In other words, to, to bring change world. Pray that God will stir people to move because God has given us free will and pray. prayer begins to move our hearts, to move onto God's agenda so that we begin to do what God's called us to do, what God's created us to do. The world begins to look different. Prayer begins to move things, especially me and you. You see, it's not that God can't do something without us. It's, because he, it's actually because he's limited himself to the prayers of men. For many of the things that we're asked, we believe that he will just happen. Pastor Jack Hayford said this, there are people who don't like this idea because they don't want the responsibility it carries with it. They want God just to do what he's going to do, but God is growing up sons and daughters, and he waits to move where they invite him to move. Maybe there's a place you're complaining you need to be praying. Maybe there's a situation you've been bellyaching about you need to start praying about. Maybe there's a relational break that you need to pray into. Maybe there's a city and a politician that instead of criticizing and putting memes up about, you start to pray about. Ooh, I got close there, didn't it? Yeah. Persistent prayer turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth. Persistent prayer turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth. There is, through prayer, we learn that nothing is impossible with God. He is able to do beyond all that we can ask or think. Prayer can change anything. The impossible doesn't exist. His is the power. Ours is the prayer. Without him, we cannot. Without us, he will not. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of prayer all throughout the Bible. The answer to the issue of our nation and our cities will not be found solely in the ballot box, but in the prayer closet. The church was not birthed in a planning meeting. It was birthed in a prayer meeting. We don't need more planning first. We need more praying first. When you're going to the marriage counselor, which you should, don't forget to pray first and ask the mighty counselor to help you. When you're going to the physician, which you should, don't forget to pray first and ask the great physician to help you. When you are weighing out the pros and cons of your decision, don't forget to pray first and ask for wisdom from heaven because persistent prayer turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth. See, there's so often, you just start to see it all through the scripture. A key to an overcoming life is prayer. Matthew 26 and 41 says, watch and pray. Why? So that you will not fall into temptation. So if you don't want to fall into temptation, we pray. A key to knowing what to do is prayer. Ask me, and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. How, we have people all the time, I don't know what my future is going to hold. I don't know how we're going to move forward. I don't know what it's going to look for my life, my, fair, my marriage, my family. My, my, I'm in, in university, and I don't know what. Ask of me. And I will tell you remarkable secrets you don't know. God wants to show you things that you don't presently know. He wants to gift you with things you don't presently have. He wants to lead you into a path that he has for your life that you don't believe today. But ask. Ask. And I will tell you. He's not hiding. So why don't we pray? There's a recent survey of over 200 pastors and prayer leaders. Why churches don't pray? First one is busy. Busyness. Anybody could identify with that. In our culture, schedules that are too full. Apathy. There was no tie for second place. Hands down, this was it. As one leader said, if we're not hungry for God, it's because we fill ourselves up with something else. 
Number three, self-sufficiency. We feel confident that we can run our own lives. We may not actually say that, but too often that's the way we live. Jesus told us to pray, though, to the Father in Matthew 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That word come means to come from one place to another. There are things in heaven that God wants to come to earth. There's more, more hope that God wants to bring from heaven to earth. There's salvation that God wants to bring from heaven to earth. That his kingdom would come and his will would be done. That means completed. To cause to be, to come into existence. Dreams that would come alive and be done. Marriages that would be restored and done. Lives that will be saved and come into the kingdom of God. Addictions that will be broken from heaven to earth. From heaven to earth. There are things that heaven wants to release in you. That heaven wants to release for you. That heaven wants to release through you. And the program, not even, that's not the right word, the pathway that brings the power of heaven into your present earth situation is prayer. We wish that it was a book. We wish that it was a, a, a Netflix show. We wish that it was something other than prayer. But prayer is the pathway that brings heaven to earth. And persistent prayer causes the, the promises of heaven to come into reality on earth. You must... I've said this at the beginning. You must make your own decision, all of us, that there's more to life than, to new, than news, weather, sports, and ordinary religion. There must be more to this life than soccer practice. And you put your practices in there, soccer practice, dishes, meeting deadlines, devouring, more fast food on the way to another event, ending up drained, wondering if you have the strength or the guts to make it through another day. And the harsh beat goes on until you're buried in the ground. But Jesus is saying, I'm ready, I'm willing, I'm able to release the things that I've promised you to do. But will we humble ourselves? Will we pray? Will we be people that don't just talk about prayer, that don't just attend prayer meetings, but become a church of prayer? Because his is the power and ours is the prayer. His is the power and ours is the prayer. Prayer releases his power in a way that we could never do by ourselves. Persistent prayer turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth. And we've seen measures of this. Think of one person in our church family who within the last year was in a hospital on a Friday night. Not expected to live. And uh, people were praying. People began to pray. Went into the hospital room that next morning with Shanda and some others. We laid hands on him and prayed. And suddenly the machines started to beep, 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 beep. And nurses run in. What are you doing? I was like panicking, but some, his eyes started to flat, flutter. All kinds of things started to happen in that moment. And he began to move up and people were praying. And then they said, well, if he lives... It won't be a very good life. His brain will not work. His organs will probably all be damaged and nothing will happen. People continue to pray. And his organs begin to come back. Oh, well, if his organs come back, he may not walk again. People continue to pray. And he's now with us nearly every week, walking in, raising hands in worship, and God's still at work in his life. Because prayer, persistent prayer, turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth. We have a young boy named Malachi who was around 12 years old. A couple of years ago where a portion of his heart was not there from birth, his congenital defect. And uh, he was, it was so bad that uh, as he was on the Make-A-Wish Foundation list, which is you get to make a wish because your life is going to be short on the earth. And he was on the list, and he was going for a regular checkup, and 
And it was taking a long time until finally they came in. They're like, we're sorry why it took so long, but basically we don't know what's going on. We thought we had the wrong uh, scans because where that piece of the heart was missing, it has now grown in. Doctors verify. Did you hear what I said? Like, that's pretty cool. People were praying. Miraculous things happened. I love hearing stories of life change and salvation where a young family came in, had no idea of God. They got invited to church. And they surrendered their lives to Jesus in Grow Track, which if you want to know more about our church, go right after service to Grow Track. It's a way to help you find your place, find your, find your purpose in God. But anyway, they went to Grow Track, surrendered their life to Jesus. They learned about hearing God, and so they, 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 they took that and began to hear God for themselves and learn how to hear God, always in line with the Bible. They went to a set-free retreat and dealt with the stuff of their past, and soon they will be going out as part of a church planting team. Two years ago, a little over two years ago, had no idea who the reality of Jesus. It's incredibly powerful moments like that. Persistent prayer brings the power of heaven to earth. Restoration of a young person who surrendered their life to Jesus, who struggled with thoughts of suicide and self-harm, surrendered their life to Jesus. Still, there was some struggle, and in the moment, uh, they really wanted to follow Jesus. They heard about baptism, which is, by the way, next week, baptism. If you've never been baptized, you'll want to get baptized. Uh, surrender your life to Jesus, of course, first. And she got baptized, and she said, well, since she got baptized, obeyed Jesus. She's had no more thoughts of self-harm, no more thoughts of suicide. She's been completely delivered and set free. That's what Jesus does as we pray, as we continue to lean in to pray. I hear the sound of heavy rain, but we've seen it to some degree. But there are a little over 500,000 people in our city. So that's a lot of people who aren't here or in, in any church in Surrey. In the lower mainland, nearly 2.5 million people. In our province, over 4 million. And many, many who do not know Jesus, do not know anything that he sees them, knows them, and loves them. So there's more for us, for God to move, to turn upside down us, to turn our families upside down, to turn the plans for our lives upside down, to put you in places that you have no business being in, but God makes a way to close doors that seem to have opened in your life that are bringing all kinds of devastation that God would close them, to open doors that have, you've been trying to kick over, break through, make happen that only will be opened through persistent prayer. There are certain things that will not happen without persistent prayer. In the 1850s, the nation to us, the south of us, America, was in a spiritually desperate state with a nation that had deep issues of brokenness, lawlessness, political division, slavery, moral degradation. However, the hunger for change began to stir in the hearts of some people who followed Jesus. And they called the convention. I love to call a convention. In fact, I may call one. In early, this was in early December 1857 in the city of Pittsburgh. They decided, all 200 pastors who were present, they would preach on a subject of revival on the first Sunday of 1858. And the following Thursday, they would call a day of fasting, prayer, and humility. 
And on that first Sunday in 1858, it had spread to many hundreds of pastors who stood and preached on the need for a move of the Holy Spirit to change their nation, to change them, to change their churches. On the following Thursday, not just hundreds, but thousands of Christians met and repented in their churches and fasted and prayed. And by the end of January, there were 50,000 people in New York City alone who were praying at noon in 100 prayer meetings across the city. What happened? As they prayed, in approximately 18 months, over 1 million people surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. 18 months out of a population of 30 million. If that were to happen in Canada today, that'd be the equivalent of one and a quarter million people in 18 months. In Metro Vancouver, that'd be 1,050 people a week. In Surrey alone, that would mean 30 people a day, every day. Maybe your friend, maybe you, maybe your neighbor, maybe your mother, maybe your father, who knows what God would do. And as people surrender to Jesus, he transforms individuals and then families change. He transformed families and workplaces and then cities change. He changes cities and nations change. I still believe that the power of Jesus changes lives. We still believe that the gospel can turn a city upside down. And I was praying this morning. I said, Lord, I don't want to preach in frustration. I want to preach in hope. Because it would be I'm, I'm just the way I'm built. I'm here, and, I, and I'm always looking to say, God, what would you do next? And I can easily skip over some of the stories. That, and that's why I put them in there, to remind myself of what God has already done. But God has yet to do more. I could think probably everyone in this room would say, God, I need you to do something more in my life in this area, in that area. I feel like the rain has been held up. I feel like things are just not moving in a way. But persistent prayer turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth because revival change is not a spontaneous happening. It does not happen by accident. Nearly every noted revival, which is simply defined is when a, when a city, a nation, an area is changed and by the power of God of changing lives. It all, nearly every time throughout history, as you read on them, it began with prayer and continues with when it's seemingly seasonal results of prayer that persists not just for an hour of a prayer meeting, but persists from day to week to month to year, five years, one times, two times, seven times, inconvenient, laboring, difficult, humbling, passive, no, active and passionate, engaged. And as we pray, things begin to happen. As we pray first, we know that God begins to move as we have never seen before. Because as wonderful as it is to tell stories of God raising people from what seemed like a certain deathbed, as wonderful as it is to tell one and two stories of lives being transformed, I think God, I don't think I know that God wants to tell that story again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Your friends, your family, your city, your neighborhood, your nation, your family, that God would stir something up within us if we are apathetic and say, God, I don't want to live in apathy. If we're in a place where we're too busy, God, would you help me to rearrange my schedule? If we're all sufficient, that God, we would repent of that and say, God, we actually need your help more than we ever, ever thought we we ever did to see your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven to see families change to see marriages restored to see foster children find homes 
to see little babies not have to be de- uh, aborted because their moms see no hope, but to see them be uh, brought into family, to see a whole cultural shift on the culture of death in our society, to see God do what only he can do, to see all throughout our city, every church that names the name of Jesus full into the brim and going to multiple services because they can't contain the increase of what God's doing, to see God do what only God can do doesn't happen because only God does it. His is the power. Ours is the prayer. His is the power. Ours is the prayer. His promise has gone out. Now our prayer needs to go up so it can be seen. What is in heaven can be seen on earth because persistent prayer turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth. That may be as simple for some people in the room as anxiety. Someone said worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. You move a lot, but you don't go anywhere. Where prayer begins to say, I begin to move. Instead of meditating on what negative thing could happen, I begin to meditate and talk about and pray about what God has already said over my life. That I am more than a conqueror. That I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I begin to cry out to God instead of hiding in Netflix. I begin to hide into the presence of God. You know, when I was in, and I just think of this now, there was a time in my life in my mid-20s where I said, I don't know what to do. I know that I messed up in my life. I was withdrawn. I was not stepping into things. I was hiding. I was fearing rejection. I was living like a victim. And I said this to God. I said, God, I don't know how to change who I am on the inside but I know I'm messed up. And every time that I could at a meeting like this or in special meetings or in my own private time, I just got on my face and many times it would put on worship and say, God help me, God help me, God help me. Make a way. Lord, change me, transform me. And God began to do what he could only do as I did what I could do. And it's not God helps those that help themselves. Prayer is not doing anything. It's just saying, God, help move your power from heaven into earth. I invite you to stand. Persistent prayer turns the promises of heaven into reality on earth. I always believe in you will, in responding to the word of God. It was wonderful last week to see so many people saying yes to Jesus for the very first time. Seven or eight people that made a decision for Jesus, which is a good thing. Amen? If you're not sure, the answer is yes people. See, the Bible says this, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. We transfer from being under the rulership of of the enemy, which brings anxiety, which brings fear, which brings hatred, which brings death, which brings all that. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, a new future becomes possible. Not only our, our pathway, but our destination to be forever with the Lord. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, to say, God, I need you to change what I can't change. You've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never made him the forgiver and leader of your life, but you say, I need God in my life. I want to start the journey today. If that's you, we're not going to ask you to come down to the front or anything like that. We're just going to simply pray and we'll go from there. If that's you, just throw your hand up and we want to pray for you. Today is your day. Not tomorrow, not another day. Today is your day. You're sensing something stirring in you. If that's you, just throw your hand up and say, Pastor, I want want you to pray with me. I want you to pray for me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Secondly, if 
If you're in a space where you're, you're saying, Pastor, I, I, I know I need to see God break through in some things in my life. I know I need to pray more, and I could say that, and every hand would go up. But in particular, you know that this is a time to lean in in persistent prayer for some things to break through in your life. I want to pray with you. Just throw your hand up real quick. Come on. Put your hand up real quick. Yeah, yeah. All over the room. Father, I thank you that as we lean in this season into prayer for the next number of weeks and start our year off, our ministry year off with, Lord, I thank you that all around the room there are so many people that recognize that we need a breakthrough, Lord Jesus. Lord, that we need a breakthrough personally. So, Lord, in the name of Jesus, as we pray, as we fast, as we seek your face, thank you that heavy rain will come, Lord Jesus, that you will make a way where there seems to be no way, that you will open doors that no one else can can open, Lord, that you will shut doors that no one else can shut. In the strong name of Jesus, make a way in the name of Jesus. How many of you would say that our nation needs help? Can I just invite you for the next 60 seconds to pray with me for Canada? Can we do that out loud all together right now? Father, thank you for Canada, Lord Jesus. Out loud, this as loud as you were singing earlier. Father, thank you for our nation, Lord. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Father, that you would bring hope. Lord, that you would see hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people respond to Jesus, Lord. Revive your church according to your word, Lord. Lord, revive your church according to your word. Lord, that you would have dominion from sea to sea, from the great river to the ends of the earth. God, that you would break things that have held people captive, that you would do what only you can do, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. We thank you, God, that you're moving in the in the nation, Lord. Thank you that you're moving in Surrey. Thank you that you're moving in Princeton. Thank you that you're moving in Kelowna. Thank you that you're moving in Kamloops. Thank you that you're moving in Prince George. Thank you that you're moving on Vancouver Island. Thank you that you're moving in Alberta. Thank you that you're moving in every province. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may we never build something for ourselves. Lord, may we build your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for the restoration of families. Thank you for sons and daughters returning. Thank you for marriages being reconciled. Thank you, Lord, for people finding their place, Lord. Thank you for breaking the spirit of suicide. Lord, thank you for bringing hope. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for anxiety being released and broken over people's life. In Jesus' name. I'm over time, and I know that, but I don't really care um, right now. Can I just ask you two things in this next? We're going to be talking on this subject for, I think, for the next three weeks about prayer. Next week, not tomorrow, but beginning Monday the 16th through the 20th, uh, we will be having morning prayer of 6.30 to 7.30. We'll put more details about that. But begin, if you're a morning person, begin to put that. If you need to be a morning person, just come anyway. We'll pray for you. God will help you. And as well, there's going to be some prayer happening in all over the city in different homes, in some in, hopefully in every neighborhood of the city. So you have to decide what you will do. We can talk about prayer, but it's not prayer until we pray. So we're going to be asking you to pray that God would move in a powerful way. And next week, I'm going to be talking about the power of prayer and fasting. It's a topic 
we talk about, not a lot of churches necessarily do, but we believe that God does something, and there are so many things that God's going to show us that He's going to release in us and to us as we fast and as we pray. We seek His face so that God's kingdom could come, His will could be done in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in our city, in our nation, around the world, that the promises that God has promised you can be realized and not be squandered in disappointment because we didn't learn to pray. So I can exhort you as strong as I can as your pastor. If, you, if, if you're visiting and you're like, I'm out scot-free, I don't need this. Up to you. But everybody's welcome. When you see the, all the prayer times uh, published, make a way, make a time, change your schedule if you have to because I believe that when we pray, God does something significant. His is the power, ours is the prayer. God bless you as you go. Give somebody a high five.